This is episode 207 with physiotherapist, host of the Run Smarter podcast, and owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic in Australia, Mr. Brody Sharp. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features a physiotherapist, runner, and podcaster, so you're in for a treat. Brody Sharp is an Australian physio who has one of the most popular running podcasts, and he joins us today to share the most impactful lessons he's learned from recording more than 100 episodes of his show, The Run Smarter Podcast. Now, if you're new to this show, you can expect conversations just like this between me and other thought leaders in the running industry. My goal is to elevate your thinking about the sport, help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Strength Running also has an active YouTube channel with hundreds of videos on how to run longer, strength workouts, how to stay healthy, and run with better form. I'd love for you to be our 50,000th subscriber. So go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. For more than a decade, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Our sponsor today is Elemental Labs, and they want to gift you a free sample pack of high-sodium electrolytes for your summer training. Just pay five bucks for shipping here in the U.S. Go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to sign up for a free sample pack. It has four flavors and eight individual packets to help you optimize your hydration. I just got a new box myself, so I'm fully topped up for the rest of summer. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. Our guest today is Brody Sharp. He's a physiotherapist and runner based in Australia who helps injured runners get healthy and stay that way. He's the host of the Run Smarter podcast and has certifications from the Running Clinic, the Running Repairs Course, Sports Medicine Australia, and Athletics Victoria Run as a running coach. You might also recognize him as a prior sponsor of the podcast for episode 163. And in this episode, Brody is sharing some of his biggest lessons he's learned about running a new personal best while staying healthy from the hundreds of episodes that he's already published. You can also learn more in an ebook that he published, which you can access at his website, runsmarter.online. Now, I personally think this is a great topic because what we're doing is we're melding performance with prevention, two often competing goals. To perform well, we often must push the envelope, but to stay healthy, we usually have to stay more cautious with our training. Brody helps us understand how to do both with principles that can be applied to your own training today. And if you'd like more on injury prevention, sign up for our free email course at strengthrunning.com slash prevention. I'll share with you the biggest injury mistakes we runners make, the true value of staying healthy, and how to make it happen for you. All right, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Brody Sharp. Hey, Brody, welcome back to the show. Jason, I am excited and it's not to be on, so thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited. This is your second time on the show, and you've built an incredible podcast yourself over the last year and a half or so. So congratulations on hitting, I think, more than 150 episodes at this point. And I just have so much respect for podcasters who made it this far. And I know it isn't easy. Yeah, thanks. It's um, been quite a journey and loving every moment of it. So thanks very much. Let's talk about the beginning of this journey, uh, because you are a physiotherapist And I'd love to know a little bit more about why you were interested in starting a podcast about running that does focus a little bit more on the injury treatment and prevention side of things. So what was the impetus for you starting your show? 
Yeah. So um, a bit of a backstory. So I was actually a physiotherapist before I was a runner and it was about uh, three years into my physiotherapy career when I was just working as a generic physiotherapist, like at a clinic, just seeing anyone under the sun and then uh, decided to train for a half marathon and my sister was training and wanted me to kind of help her out and a bit allow a bit of accountability on her behalf as well if she has someone training with her. And so I quickly caught the running bug and I just uh, really loved, became really passionate about running. And that kind of translated into when I was in the clinic and a runner would come in with a running injury. And yeah, I would just have this heightened passion. I really want to put my best foot forward, bring out my best work and get the best outcomes for those runners. And so quickly had a huge passion for treating those, but seeing so many runners in the clinic recognized that there was a lot of gaps in knowledge, like runners were coming to me with a lot of misconceptions, a lot of confusion around managing a certain injury or trying to reduce their risk of injuries. And just like searching the internet, just typing into Google, like how to overcome shin splints or how to overcome knee pain. There's a there's a lot of contradictory information. There's There'd be like some say stretch or not stretch, or you need to strengthen, you need to rest, you can run on knee pain. And I just sort of were seeing all these uh, runners in the clinic with all of these misconceptions. I thought, what a good resource to build out a podcast where I'm highlighting all of these misconceptions and I'm bringing forth like the the evidence-based resources and saying um, this is what you might be reading on Google or um, across Facebook groups, but this is what the evidence shows. It's actually contradictory to the fact or it might be contradictory to your current beliefs and just thought it would be an excellent resource for runners to go to if they are looking for clarity. And that's the mission of the podcast is to bring clarity and control to a runner because they have they every runner wants something. They either want to overcome their current injury, they want to reduce their risk of future injuries, or they want to increase their running performance. That probably blankets almost every runner out there. And so my mission is to try and highlight through evidence-based um, research, publish some of these episodes either with me doing solo episodes or doing interviews where we just try and bring forth the best uh, information possible. Well, I know from personal experience as a an often injured runner over my running career, you know, I've had plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendinopathy, IT band syndrome, shin splints. I had SI joint problems. I have had almost every injury that you can imagine that runners can get, um, with the exception of maybe a stress fracture and some real uh, problematic hamstring injuries. And so I've necessarily seen a lot of physical therapists, and there is a clear difference between the physical therapist who understands runners and running injuries and maybe is a runner himself or herself, and then the physiotherapist who doesn't really see runners or doesn't specialize in this particular brand of endurance athlete. And there's such a big difference. I think from my major injury that I've had that really took me out for a long time, my my old IT band injury, I had to see four physical therapists before I started seeing real progress with the injury. So having a PT who knows runners, who understands the nature of running injuries is just so critical to that recovery process. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're, you're tackling this really important um, a topic within the running community. I think it's really important. And Brody, you have written uh, and self-published a book about all the lessons you've learned about um, you know, this field from the podcast. And so since you've published so many different episodes, you've talked with you know, some of the big leaders in the running community, I wanted to focus our conversation today on what those lessons are. And you have, I think, 10 in your book. We probably don't have time for all of that. So maybe we can do a highlight reel and talk about five or so of your favorite or perhaps the most impactful strategies or tips or lessons that you've learned from the podcast. So maybe we can start there. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, just to set the listeners up who aren't really familiar with this, um, the book. So this is volume two of an ebook 
pretty much um, based off the podcast. So volume one covered the 10 universal principles to overcome an injury. And it follows this parable of this character called Injury Prone Pete, who starts out running and just wanted to train for a half marathon. And he just developed some injuries along the way that can... (laughs) A lot of people read this book and say, hey, that's me. I'm injury prone Pete because um, out of all the runners that I have seen, I've kind of built out this parable or this story combining like the common themes and the common stories that I hear from new runners who are injured and trying to overcome a certain injury. And so that actually translated to the first 10 episodes of my podcast. So each episode of the podcast for the first 10 covered each universal principle to overcome an injury and um, that set the podcast up really well and I thought for the this second installment the second volume um, let's bring injury prone Pete back but we're going to learn these lessons not to overcome an injury but to have an injury free PB and so injury prone Pete goes out to train for a marathon to try and get his best marathon time and he covers um, like he I guess, learns 10 lessons along the way in order to achieve that PB as safely as possible. And I drew um, advice and I drew quotes and insight from the first 100 episodes of the podcast. And so each chapter at the end has um, some lovely quotes from guests that I've had on in the past, including yourself. Um, You're on episode 49. I've got some lovely quotes from you. And so, yeah, that sets things up really well. I love it. And and I think the frame of the book is really great in in the fact that you are going after a personal best while also wanting to stay healthy, which which is really what every runner wants, right? They they want to improve in some race distance, whether it's the marathon or the 5K or anything else. And of course, they want to do it healthy. They want to do it pain-free, injury-free. And it's not always so easy with the astronomically high injury rate among runners. And it's also a very difficult proposition because oftentimes to run a personal best, you have to really push the envelope in training. You have to do things you've never done before. You have to work really hard. And that can be one of those things that puts you at a risk for a running injury, just training really hard, pushing that envelope, trying to run more, doing it faster. And so how we go about this trying to get that PR while staying healthy is is really what I consider to be, you know, the the holy grail of running, really. You know, let's improve while staying healthy in the process. So maybe we can start with some of those really impactful strategies that you think are really important to get right first. So maybe we're just about to start on a, a training cycle. Maybe we have a fall race or you know some goal race that we might be training for in 12 to 20 weeks. What should we start thinking about now that are, is going to help set the foundation for a healthy PB in the future? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what you've kind of illustrated there is you want to try and run smarter. And that's the idea. That's why the Run Smarter podcast exists is because we need to start making smarter training decisions if we want to have these ambitious running goals and we want to do so safely. And so um, one thing I wanted to talk about if someone has a race that's about 10 to 12 weeks out is hone in on their strength training. And I I know this is, you know, strength running podcast. Um, We all know the benefits of strength training, but maybe there's a few little tips that I can um, suggest which um, might help hone in on someone if they're already doing their strength training or at least convince them to start some strength training if they're not already. Um, Because there are a couple of widespread misconceptions when it comes to strength training. Um, The, I guess the bare minimum when it comes to developing a strength program would be to do it at least twice a week. But what you do within that training session um, has like huge implications to like really boost your running performance. And when we've, when I talk to runners and I eventually convince them to start strength training, um, some of them buy a gym membership or some of them start doing their exercises at home. um, But they, tend to follow the exercises that they're best at. And because they're a runner, they usually do their squats, calf raises, lunges, um, maybe deadlifts, but they do a lot of high repetitions, body weight style 
exercises. So they'll do their calf raises. Maybe they'll go up to 25 reps um, and they'll count that as their strength training session. But what a lot of research has shown is that if you want to improve your running performance, even your endurance performance, like a marathon, like an ultra, you need to start training with a bit more weight. You need to start adding some weight to that to that strength training session. So when it comes to your squats, when it comes to your lunges, when it comes to your deadlifts and your calf raises, uh, adding on some weight so that it becomes a struggle and it becomes tough for you to do 10 to 12 reps um, because it sounds a bit counterintuitive to start lifting heavy because people think that they're going to increase their muscle mass or they're going to get way too sore for their their regular training. But um, there's countless evidence out there to show that if you start training properly in these right dosages, so increasing that weight so it's around that um, 10 rep max range, um, you're actually going to improve your running endurance. Um, so that's one of the major uh, misconceptions that I communicate on the podcast and is something that us as runners, we need to s- slowly start tending towards because we're not great at lifting heavy because we're because uh, we're light and we're used to doing endurance-based stuff. We usually stick to that that lighter side of things that we're really good at, but we need to start challenging our body in different ways and adding weight to um, your strength training is really going to do that and the evidence will show that you'll improve your performance times if you do so. This is almost like if runners had this goal to get stronger, who should they ask? You know, what kind of workout should I do? They should obviously go ask weightlifters. And weightlifters whose goal is to get stronger are really power lifters. That's their goal. Their goal is to lift as much weight as possible. Now, that's not to be confused with a bodybuilder who's trying to literally build their body and look a certain way. And for those power lifters, we kind of have to lift very similar to how they lift, which is relatively fewer repetitions, but with heavier weight. And, you know, it's kind of of funny to me because, you know, it's a very simple proposition. How do I lift to get stronger? And it's certainly not low weight, high repetitions. Any weightlifting athlete will tell you that. And it's almost like we could have done away with almost decades of this misconception by just going to the source and asking the weightlifters themselves, how do we actually get stronger? Yeah, for sure. And um, let me be clear, we want to increase the weight once you are strong enough to do so. Um, I talk a lot about reducing risk of injury and one way, well, one major way that we reduce our risk of injury is to avoid spikes in training and avoid overloading your body. And so when we do add on weights to your squats, like you may start with body weight because you might be strong enough to only start with body weight. But if you were to increase those weights too quickly, then we're increasing our risk of injury. So we want to make sure that that adaptation zone and you're patient with adding on those weights, but it should be the goal. And if someone's picturing like those power lifters or weight lifters and thinking that they'll get too big and bulky, um, they train that the movements that they do is similar to the movements that we should be making, but they train, you know, six times per week and they're constantly eating, they're constantly trying to put on muscle mass. Their training is extremely different regarding their, their overall weekly or overall monthly regime. Uh, we're runners, so we're going to be doing it twice a week, but we're also going to be running multiple times a week, and the body's going to prioritize the endurance base. So the body you will form will be endurance-based um, with all the strength um, properties, the benefits of strength training that come along with it. So it's going to be extremely hard for you to put on muscle mass. You might put on a very little bit, but your body will uh, prioritize endurance-based training. Um, so keep that in mind. Don't have your apprehension saying you're just going to get big and bulky because it's extremely hard to do. You're only just going to put on, say, like a couple of pounds of muscle mass. You're never going to get this big, bulky gym goer body um, and it's never going to be detrimental to your to your running performance. That's right. And, and even for those runners who hear you say you might gain a couple pounds of, of muscle mass, that will also likely happen at the same time that maybe you lose a little bit of fat from your body. So it's not necessarily this situation where you're definitely going to be putting on weight. And to your point, most runners are doing 
enough running that almost all of their energy will be going to fueling those runs and recovering from those runs, not to putting on mass. It's just such a kind of a, uh, a difficult thing to do. Sort of like, you know, if, if the bodybuilder went running and they ran three miles twice a week and, and they were afraid that they would all of a sudden become a four minute miler, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not really that easy to do. And you certainly have to do much more substantial training to get to that level. I would 100% agree with that. Brody, let's let's move on from strength training because I know my audience uh, has heard me talk about the virtues of strength training on and on. I'm such a big proponent of it. I think it's the missing ingredient in so many runners training. Um, but let's talk about some of those other lessons that might be particularly important for those runners who are looking to get that personal best while staying healthy in the process. Is there something we can do around recovery? Yeah, for sure. I think recovery is a great topic to to talk about because if someone's training for a marathon, well, let's just follow the generic runner pathway, their career pathway. They um, decide to start running. Uh, they get into a steady state of fitness, and then they look at a they do a couch to five k is very common. So then they get to their five k and they say fantastic, and then they find a 10k race, then they find a half marathon race, then they find a marathon race, and they're they're constantly um, pushing the limits and they're constantly trying to reach uh, more ambitious goals because that's what we are. We're this type A personality that's very self-motivated, self-driven, and we have ambitious goals. We have high expectations for ourselves and yet they just constantly seek bigger goals. And eventually what's happening is like you as a person, you with your recovery, they'll get to a point where your output is like so high than what you previously started with. So you need to start enhancing your recovery. There's like this um, seesaw balance effect where when I talk about injuries, um, we talk about making sure you don't overtrain and making sure you don't overload your body. And so you want to make sure that you slowly build up and slowly start to adapt to your training load. But there's also on that other side of the equation, the under recovery aspect, because you could train the exact same. You could train, let's just say, 20 miles a week and you could adapt to 20 miles per week. But if your recovery is inadequate, so um, if all of a sudden you get a job promotion, all of a sudden you have a newborn baby um, and there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of or there's a lack of sleep associated with all of those things theoretically you could get an overuse injury still staying in that 20 mile week because the body itself isn't able to handle that 20 miles a week it's unable to um, recover from the demands that you're putting on it and so when someone's training for that 10k then that half marathon then that full marathon if it gets towards that peak stage of that marathon training plan you may need to start prioritizing recovery you may need to start um, putting that higher and higher on your list in order for that equation to keep balancing out. Because if you deliver a lot of output, if you train really hard, you need to recover even harder. And there's, um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Shona Halson, who was um, on my podcast. She is an expert on recovery. And she almost puts forth that an, injured, uh, an athlete can never be injured through overload if their recovery is so optimized. If they're really ticking the box on all their standards of recovery, it's almost impossible for them to get an overuse injury. And so it's really important that we focus on this. And it's really important that um, once you start building up your output, the input and the recovery needs to balance that out. Let's talk about both of those things. So first, how does an athlete know because this is a really tricky question. How does an athlete actually know when what they're doing is starting to become too much, their overall workload, whether it's, you know, it's kind of a combination of the overall mileage that you're running per week, but also the intensity side of things. How easy are you taking your recovery days? How hard are you taking your workout days? And in anything else that you're doing, whether that's strength training, whether that's cross training, we're looking at the total workload of your exercise over the course of the week. For that runner who's, you know, maybe a beginner or an intermediate runner, they're setting off on this new training cycle, targeting some fall race, perhaps. How do they actually know when 
you know, they're pushing the envelope a little bit too much and they need to dial it back. Because I know I've struggled with this over and over again in my running career. And it, I felt like it took me 10 years of lots of trial and error and really understanding my body to fully grasp this. I guess the the very first thing that comes to my mind would be that um, you just start developing injuries. You start developing multiple injuries. Um, if there's if you're really gradual with your mileage and you're very gradual with your intensity, but you're still getting a lot of these overuse injuries, that would be the first thing I'd start asking. I'd start asking like, how's your stress levels? How's your nutrition? How's your hydration? How are you sleeping? And see if there's any gaps there. Because if it doesn't match, then we need to start putting in some sort of interventions to help in, enhance that recovery. Um, so injury is one side, and we know injuries are very, very common in runners, but we could potentially catch um, a runner before that event, and it might start being things like they're just more tired than usual. They're just waking up feeling tired. Uh, their moods are quite low or their moods are quite swinging. Um, they just might like start not looking forward to um, running. They lose their passion for running. Like they see that that weekend long run and they're dreading doing it because that this marathon is close approaching. Um, so there's the mood side of things. There's just feeling really down. Um, but there's also that injury side of things. And maybe it, it's kind of expected if you were to start building up your mileage that the hip start might feel a little bit tight, the legs might start feeling a little bit heavy, but it, it should be quite fleeting. It shouldn't be enough to really disrupt your your training. Whereas if it's getting to the point where you have to do your midweek runs and everything's feeling stiff, everything's feeling tired, you just lose that zap, you lose that spring in your step, um, that might be something that we need to investigate. And if you're doing everything correct, if you say you're getting really good quality sleep, you're really prioritizing um, extended sleep and naps throughout, throughout the week and you're really good with your nutrition and you're still feeling down and you're still feeling like these injuries are popping up, then we need to go to that other side of the equation, look at your intensities and look at your overall weekly mileage and see if there's too much of a jump there. And so it's just constantly investigating both sides of that equation to see where that mismatch is. I think there's a lot of value in simply seeing how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis because a lot of folks will look at a training plan and they'll think that that is the exact plan for them to get to their goal where, you know, it's really just kind of a, a set of directions and you can go off script a little bit. You can take a different direction and still get to your final destination and, and just evaluating how you feel on a daily basis and really tuning into how your body responds to certain workouts, to certain mileage levels is part of that learning process to understand how you respond to the training and, and what you're really capable of. Uh, the other thing that I think is is really interesting is, you know, all of us, Brody, me, you, every other running podcaster, we're probably always talking about you have to increase your mileage gradually. You have to add intensity gradually. I want to add a little bit more complexity to this and say that sometimes gradual is too much. Sometimes runners should not be adding mileage at all or intensity at all. And, and I think knowing where the, the cap is for you individually is another really important skill. So for example, if, if you're that runner who's you know maybe very comfortable running, say, 20 miles a week or 30, 35 kilometers a week, and you know, you're training for a race now and, and you're building your mileage up to, to 30 miles to 40 miles it doesn't make sense to continuously gradually increase your mileage until you're at 60 miles a week, 70 miles a week. At a certain point, you just have to stop building because you can't gradually build forever. I'd love to hear your thoughts on when runners should know when to stop gradually building their workload. Mm, that, that's extremely fascinating. I'm glad you, you brought that up because um, it's a, a very healthy debate, I think. And you're, you're completely right. We need to start tailoring advice to the individual and it can be based on trial and error as well because we know that every individual's makeup is completely different. We know that their genetics are completely different. We know that people respond differently to certain types of training. Um, in conversation with um, Dr. Ken McDonald, who's a professor here in Australia, 
talking about epigenetics and he has um, a few insights into how people respond differently to training and he says that some people based on their genetics can train um, for power like they can do a whole bunch of power training and their endurance will actually benefit from all that power training whereas someone with um, different genetics might do all this power and they will increase their power but won't improve on endurance and so when it comes to individual makeup and how people respond to different loads how people respond to different um, gradual build-ups in mileage it is based on the individual and um, one thing that you also highlighted is that evaluation that constantly evaluating your workouts and seeing how you're responding because i think we need to ask ourselves a few questions that are often missed during the workouts and some apps and things are are starting to get on board with this but it's during your say midweek run that's meant to be easy like afterwards after that session um rate them out of 10 like how difficult did that feel at that pace and how um how did you recover afterwards how did you feel recovering afterwards and it's these sort of subjective questioning that really start to highlight whether your training program is agreeing with you or not and so um, I totally agree with that constant evaluation and just reflecting on your training because like you said you might get to a certain point where you're continuing that gradual build-up you might be doing that maybe 10 to 15 percent increase um, and it just gets way too much and so reflecting on that and asking yourself those questions you might do a really easy um 8k run and then you ask yourself afterwards how did that feel like the pace itself was really slow but it was a real struggle like i really struggled throughout that that run those sort of questions and those sort of self-reflections can maybe start leading you in the direction that maybe you need to have those buffer weeks maybe you need to have those rest weeks maybe you just need to stay stagnant for a couple of weeks um starts to make a lot of sense and like you said it is based on the individual because we also know that some runners rare as they may be um, they can build up their mileage quite quickly quite easily and they just don't break down and they actually thrive on that sort of stuff and so yeah don't just follow one generic plan because it's worked for other people you need to base off how you're feeling your lifestyle and when we talk about stress and we talk about sleep like Everyone has a life outside of running and every life is different. Someone might have a really stressful job. Someone might have like a lot of responsibilities looking after family. And so um, these are the things that create someone as an individual and why they respond differently to training. And we're not going to tailor that advice unless we consider all those different components. Right. And and I think this is probably a great opportunity to to say how good a training log can be in this kind of a situation uh, because it allows you to reflect on how you're feeling and really look back on a week of training, a month of training, and, and identify trends. And so I think a training log, in particular, a training log that you're writing in by hand. I'm such a sucker for just a notebook where you can write in anything that you want about a certain run. And I used to track everything from the mileage on my shoes to where I ran and what kind of surfaces I was on. I really geeked out on my training logs <laughs> back in the day. And, and I think that is, is just a, a really great way to learn more about yourself and the sport. Because if you're not reflecting, if you're not recording what you did and how it made you feel, then you know it's going to be very hard for you to learn from your successes and your mistakes over time. Uh, and, and, you know, a small example of how I had to tailor my own training to my own personal, you know, the way that I responded to training itself was I found that after a long run the next day, I could run a decent amount and I wasn't very sore. It's like my body took a long time to register that soreness. You know, everyone says that delayed onset muscle soreness peaks in 24 to 48 hours. Well, for me, it's it's like 48 hours, maybe a little bit longer. And so when I was building out my own training, you know, back when I was running marathons and, you know, I was able to get my PR at the 2011 Philadelphia Marathon, I actually did a, a substantial distance run, still at an easy effort, but I think I, I peaked around 11 or 12 miles the day after my long run. And then the following day, which was usually a Monday, then I took it much, much easier. I ran a little bit less. I ran a little bit slower because it was only then that I was really feeling the effects 
of that Saturday long run. And, and that was something that I just had to learn over time. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, even a lot of coaches might be like, well, you got to take an easy day after a hard day. Right. And so I, I think runners have to give themselves permission to modify their own training based on their body, based on how they respond to training, because that's, probably one of the best strategies for staying healthy over that long term. Yeah. A a few things um, jump out at me when you talk about that. One, like when you're creating that log and you're detailing your workouts, um, if you're doing that in a physical form, like on a spreadsheet or a diary, you can then go back and reflect um, on the past couple of weeks. And this is what runners really struggle with doing or just humans in general it's trying to reflect back on what you did two weeks ago like people really really struggle to know or reflect back and have an accurate account of what happened um they're not too sure how much mileage they built up they're not too sure how they were starting to feel because a trend could develop that you totally miss um unless you have that written down and then when you're talking about um trying like to tailor or modify things based on the individual, a lot of people stick to one rigid plan and whether it works or whether it doesn't work, um, they just keep to that plan. And I think it's worth trying a few different things to see which one you thrive on the most because uh, like you you illustrated, people's recovery totally depends on the individual. Like I know if I do a strength workout, my delayed onset muscle soreness kicks in really quickly, like within 12 hours and it's totally alleviated within 24 hours. And so that comes on really quickly for me um, compared to a couple of my other mates, but trying things differently and seeing where you thrive, you need to try a whole bunch of things to see which one you thrive on the most. And so if you stick to one rigid plan the entire time, yes, it might work for you, but there might be a different plan that you, um, that works better for you and you will never know unless you try Right. And I'm someone who essentially writes training programs for a living. And I'll be the first one to say, you probably shouldn't follow any training plan to the letter, to the T for the entire duration of that training plan, just because life happens. You might get injured, you might get sick, you might miss a run, you might not feel good one day, the weather might mean a workout has to be moved around. And so there's so many opportunities for that training plan to be changed. And if you are modifying your training plan, either based on outside factors or how you're feeling, you really have got to know how to modify that plan and and move forward from there. Because I think every time I've written my own training plan, I follow it for like a week and a half, and then I have to change it and be like, okay, well, I need to rewrite a couple things. I didn't do this. I wanted to do more this day. And so, you know, it just really goes to show that a training plan is not set in stone. It's written in pencil and it's meant to be modified. That's exactly right. And like, that's where the secret sauce is. You, If you have to write out a running program for the next 10 weeks, the best thing you can do is just come up with a template. That's that's like, you can't do any better than that, but it requires the magic of modifying in in real time, depending on so many individual unpredictable factors that happen. And similar to you with your running programs, I write return to running programs for a lot of my athletes who are injured and they want to get back to pain-free running. And so I'll build this return to run program, but they might may wake up on a Wednesday with a flare up and it's like, well, what do I do? I can't continue. I've got this long run planned tomorrow. And so that's when you need to edit and modify in real time and say, okay, today we do this, tomorrow we do this. And like I said, sometimes it's unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen. And um, exactly as you highlighted, modifications need to be a necessity in any running program. Yeah, I heard a long time ago that the best workout for you is the workout that is what your body is ready for today. And I think what we're talking about right now is the very thorny subject of, well, how do you know what workout is best for you today? And a big part of that is is how you're feeling. Now, of course, a good training plan is going to try to predict how you're feeling on any given day. That's why workouts are spread out. That's why mileage builds gradually. So a lot of that is baked into the training plan itself. But ultimately, at the end of the day, with all things considered, you've got to do what's right for you on the day. And that could be very different than what's on the training plan. Now, Brody, you 
mentioned briefly, you write these return to running programs, uh, and you do have a chapter in your book called Rehabilitation Expectations. I'd love to talk a little bit more about what that means and as a physio, how you think about rehabilitating runners so that they can get back on the road or the trail and start training again. I I thought this needed to be in the ebook because the book itself, the premise is um, training for an injury-free PB and it's about running performance. All these chapters are about running performance. But I do know that injuries are so common for runners and I just needed to have at least one chapter in here to address um, this, the injured state, the, the mindset that the runner's in when it comes to injury rehab and what they can do. And so the rehabilitation expectations is just a frame of mind that an injured runner needs to place themselves in um, so that they can have the best rehab and the best recovery possible. Because I do think that, I say this on my podcast all the time, when it comes to your risk of injury, we can't get that risk down to zero. You can't totally prevent running injuries. There are those rare runners that never break down, but um, odds are you're probably not going to be one of those runners. And if an injury does arise, it's making those smart decisions to overcome that injury really quickly. Um, and that starts by, by making those smart decisions by day one so that it's a, a four-day or a five-day injury rather than a five-week injury. And if you recover in four to five days by making those smart decisions, then you haven't lost fitness and you can just resume your running program um, to the the best of your ability. But with these expectations, a lot of people expect that their recovery and expect that their injury follow this really linear recovery path. They think that they're just going to follow this linear improvement and strength and build up their running mileage in this really nice linear state. Before, uh, until they just get back to pain-free running. And whether those expect expectations are, oh, I'm just going to be better in, say, a week or I'm going to be better in a month, um, those all just really depend. But when hiccups happen and when, like, someone might um, have a flare-up, when these particular occurrences happen, their mindset instantly is back to, oh, I'm back to square one. All this progress that I've made is now lost um, maybe I should just give up on this running goal that I have. Maybe I should just pull the pin on this race that I have planned. Um, my body's letting me down. Maybe I shouldn't be a runner. And it's only just because their expectations are not laid out in this um, realistic fashion. They have an unrealistic expectation of their recovery when in fact what I like to communicate with my runners is that if you are injured, we do all the right things and we try and overcome your injury as quickly as possible. But sometimes you will under, undergo a flare-up. Let's just say you have shin splints and we, uh, we get you back to pain-free running. Maybe in a couple of weeks' time, those shin splint symptoms come back. And so that's uh, when we need to have like a flare-up plan in place and we need to um, start building out like exactly what to do for the next couple of days if symptoms do arise. But the goal theme here and the reason why this is one of these chapters is that we need to almost expect the unexpected. We almost need to expect and plan for flare-ups. We need to expect and plan for if you go for this run and you don't tolerate it like we were expecting. Because a rehab, if we were to look at on a graph, and I'd have a, a little bit of a graph in this uh, ebook, people's expectations on this like XY axis think it's just straight up and to the right. They think that they're just going to recover in their time frame that they've um, estimated. But really there's loops and there's like uh, ups and downs, back and forths as you progress to recovery. But the general trend over time is up and to the right. It's not a straight line, but there's, um, there's hiccups, there's U-turns, there's flare-ups, but generally as we go day by day, week by week, month by month, it's slowly trending towards the up and to the right. And you could get really lucky. You could overcome the injury really quickly. But um, it's all about just trying to build up your, find out what your tissue tolerance is and slowly just tolerate more and more and more. Um, pain-free running isn't necessarily the goal. Um, and I can talk about pain levels during running if we want to discuss that. But expect the unexpected. And as soon as there's a hiccup that happens, don't get so down on yourself 
because it's just a part of the plan. It's a part of the rehab process. And so we just need to continue being proactive and continue to see that trend slowly upwards and to the right. Can we drill down a little bit and discuss more about what you actually do if you do experience a flare-up? Because I think almost every runner has likely experienced this. When you have an injury, you get over it, you think you're healthy, and a couple weeks later, it starts to feel bad again. You start to either you're in pain or it starts to feel uncomfortable or it just doesn't feel right. What what are those action steps as soon as something like that happens? And of course, it depends on the injury and the severity of the pain or discomfort that the athlete is experiencing. But what are some real actionable things that athletes can do at this moment, this very specific moment in time to hopefully reduce that flare up and, and, and reduce it enough so that they can get on with their training? Yeah, I'll totally agree. It depends on the injury itself and it depends on the severity itself. But there are a couple of general rules that we can follow. Uh, One, if you wake up and your symptoms are a lot worse, um, the number one step that we need to do is kind of reflect back on and think why it was it's flared up in the first place so that we learn moving forward it's not just a an error that we keep doing over and over so really think back was it the change in terrain was it the change in speed was it the change in distance was there something mechanically or something to do with your load that has increased this flare up um, if it isn't, maybe we have a look at recovery. Maybe I was just more stressed during my workout. Maybe I didn't sleep too well. Um, just trying to identify something so that we can learn moving forward. But if we were to follow some general guidelines, maybe we use the example of knee pain. Let's say someone wakes up and they've trying to, they've been managing this knee pain for a couple of weeks and they're still running and it's about a one or a two out of 10 pain but they wake up and now it's a five out of 10 and like stairs are quite annoying or like just squatting down to put your shoes on. That's painful. Um, There are definitely some rules that we can follow and we can do this for, for most other injuries. One is to maybe have one or two days off if it's really flared up. If it's just a mild flare up, we can be proactive from day one, but In most cases, if it's really significant, we might want to take some um, anti-inflammation medication or some um, just general rest, just to let the sensitivity of the tissue settle down. But we want to make sure that's not that period doesn't go for too long. So, twenty-four to forty-eight hours is what I would recommend. The next step is to find what level of strength training or what level of loading doesn't flare up the symptoms um, that we can be very proactive about, and so. Knee pain would be something like a wall squat. If stairs are something that's a bit of an issue and it's really irritating, that means that the movement and the body weight style um, movement is flaring things up. So if we do a wall sit where we're not moving our knees in and out of that range, but it's enough load to trigger some stimulus through the knee, it's enough to trigger a lot of quad Um, strength activation, some muscle activation, Um, then we're being very proactive as to building up your tissue tolerance. And so day one, day two, day three, we're slowly progressing some loading-based exercises based on things that don't flare up your symptoms. And then once you feel confident, once you're jogging on the spot, once you're hopping up and down, and there's only very mild levels of pain, so I'd say like a one, two, out of 10 pain and doesn't significantly flare up after that activity. So there's no achiness that kind of hangs around. Then we know that we're ready for some low levels of running. And so this may be like day three or day four, and it might start with just a return to run program or a catch to 5k or like a running for one minute, walking for one minute, uh, do that 10 times and see how symptoms feel, see how things feel afterwards. And these sort of dosages and these examples of exercises um, are all based on just like generic principles. So someone who just has a very mild flare-up, they may go straight back to a 5K run instead of a 20K run, or they might do five minutes of running, one minute of walking, and do that five times. So the loads can be a little bit more if you're able to tolerate more levels of loading. But the principles are still the same. It's loading under... um, certain exercises that still stimulate that those sensitive tissues, but not enough to flare them up, 
wait and, and progress until the point where you're able to do some sort of running actions. Hopping on the spot is a really good one for 30 seconds. Um, jogging on the spot for two minutes is another good one. And once you're able to achieve those, then slowly just getting back into a return to run program and base that, base your return on symptoms, base it on um, how, you, how you've responded. If it's low levels of pain during the run, but it's flared up afterwards, that means you've done too much and we need to go back to the drawing board and reiterate some dosages. But if you tolerate them really well, then it's building up a little bit more, building up a little bit more until you start returning back to those pre-flare-up levels of loading. Rhoda, you said base your return based on symptoms. And I really love that. That is just an excellent way to kind of drill down into how personalized this recovery approach can be. And I think there's a really interesting aspect to this conversation, which is, you know, the topic of loading or the topic of um, tissue tolerance. And it it took a long time for me to figure this out myself because, uh, you know, when I was uh, a college athlete, I was getting hurt somewhat frequently. And I always thought that as soon as I got hurt, you know, you just take a week off from running. And then hopefully when you start back running again, you'll, you'll won't have any pain and you can run healthy. And I've since completely abandoned that approach because rest is not treatment. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about, you know, what do you mean when you say loading? Are we, are we talking about strength training? Are we talking about running? Are we talking about cross training? Are we talking about all those things? And, and kind of how runners can think about getting their tissues ready for additional load when they can't run, because that's often a difficult proposition. Absolutely. I'd love to talk about this. And um, if anyone listens to the Run Smarter podcast, you'll know exactly what I'm about to talk about. Um, I constantly talk about on the podcast this concept called the pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral. And it's exactly what you were talking about in your pre-beliefs around just give this injury a, a week to rest and then I'll be back to running and I'll be fine. And it's something that um, sounds intuitive, like the, the body will just heal. The body does the, the magnificent job that it does when it's injured. It just um, spontaneously heals if you give it enough time and then you're back to running. That makes sense. But it's not what we see practically because if someone does develop an injury, what happens is those tissues, the the bones, the tendons, the ligaments, the muscle, whatever is involved there is really sensitive. It's sore and it's sensitive and it's really sensitive to load. And when we say load, it could be anything that puts stress on the body. It could be jumping on the spot. It could be a squat. It could be a run. It could be a, a bike ride. Um, and it's sensitive to, to loading. And in that sensitive state, it can no longer tolerate the loads that it once used to it while it's in that sensitive state. So if I was to put it another way, it's actually weaker in this short term while it's in this sensitive state, it's weaker. And what people do in this state is have a week off. And so what you're doing is you're combating this weakened state with rest, which further weakens this structure and further weakens its tissue tolerance. And then someone goes back to running and goes back to the mileage they did pre-injury because they're feeling pretty good. They're walking around, they're jumping on the spot and they feel fine. Um, so they go back to this uh, pre-injury running load and it flares up again because it's been, it hasn't been stimulated enough to return back to that level of running. It flares up again. And so what does the runner think based on what what we know about the body and intuitively? I just didn't take enough time off. I need more time to rest. And so they take one or two weeks off running and they say, surely two weeks off running will be enough for me to come back. And that, that current flare up is now sensitized again. And we're addressing that with further, further weakness and further rest. And so it just continues down this pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral until months down the track, you're really not tolerating a lot of loading at all because it's just so, so weak. And so back to your, back to your question around what is loading, um, it's very important that in these early days, as early as we can, we need to start loading this tissue under certain levels of tolerance, like I was talking about before, so that it doesn't flare up symptoms, but we're still stimulating those areas. We're still stimulating the muscle. We're still stimulating the tendons, the ligaments, the joints, um, so that we're not contributing to further weakness. We're stimulating it in a nice, healthy environment. And so loading can be a number of things. It's anything that you put on your body that's a little bit of stress, like an external force. 
and it's enough to kind of wake up the muscles to to activate and enough for the tendons and the ligaments to to put strain on and it could be walking walking is one form of loading um it's a very low form but it's something that you can start with uh but then strength training is also a form of loading but it's a different stimulus so the the strength training is usually what we call like it's time under tension is very different it's very slow it's very controlled like if you do a squat it's two seconds down, two seconds up, like that really slow control stimulus. It's still a form of loading, but it's a, a longer time under tension. Whereas a run is um, like every step that you take is very power focused. It's like a split second of activation, control the hips, control the knee, and then push off. It's very power-based, um, but it's also very endurance-based if we time that over a long period of time. So if you go for a 10-minute run. So loading can be anything under that umbrella anything under the sun it can be very low amounts it could be very high amounts it could be low or like a very slow time under tension it could be a very quick fast activating and how you decide to load up that tissue that's where like a um, a health professional can really help guide you through what is acceptable and what's not acceptable but a lot of it is trial and error and where we start where that trial starts um you can have best guidance with a health professional, but it's all just based on symptoms. Maybe you don't respond well to power-based stuff, but you respond really well to that slow loading type of stuff. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of the guidance, and I hope that that made sense to you. Yeah, definitely. And and I think it it kind of encapsulates the evolution of my thinking on this because at the beginning of my college career, when I was starting to get hurt, it was definitely the take a week off, hope for the best strategy, which I don't recommend. It's not very effective. And then by the end of my college career and, and certainly in my post-collegiate years, I kind of went the opposite direction. And I thought, well, if I'm in, if I can't run, I'm going to do as much other exercise as I can, as long as it doesn't make my symptoms worse, as long as it doesn't cause any discomfort or pain. So, you know, I was doing hours of pool running every day or cycling and lots of strength training and doing all this other exercise. And it allowed me to come back from injuries much faster and I didn't lose as much fitness. So at the end of the day, you know, I I was injured less frequently and it was great because even though I might've missed four days a week, maybe of running, it's almost like I, I didn't even miss any training. I was able to come back and, and really for the most part, jump right back into where I was. So I, I think that is is a much more effective approach. And it's certainly evidence-based because if you're you're going down that cycle, like you were talking about, you know, you're just further weakening your muscles and the connective tissues that you, you know, ideally want to be making stronger. So it certainly makes a lot of intuitive sense. And, and I'm glad that it's uh, evidence-based as well. Yeah, for sure. Because where Exactly what you said. We're just maintaining your level of fitness and maintaining levels of um, tissue tolerance for other areas of the body as well. Because when you're injured and you have to take some time off, you're also deconditioning all the other areas of your body while you're not running. And so it just makes sense if you were to find some form of cross-training, whether it be swimming, the elliptical, the rower, the um, like the bike. Depending on your injury, one of those avenues, one of those options you could probably still do a high volume of without your injury flaring up. And while you're doing so, you're still stimulating all the other areas of your body to maintain your current tissue tolerance of everything else, but also maintain your cardiovascular fitness, which is hugely important because as soon as a runner's injured, they they're really fearful of losing their fitness, especially if they've worked so hard, they're training for a marathon halfway through that marathon, they get injured all that effort, all that time they've had to build up their fitness, they don't want to lose it. And so if they don't have a cross-training avenue to explore, they're more likely to return to running way too quickly, return to high levels of running too quickly, re-injure their, um, their site, and then it goes through this, this bust cycle once again and goes through this injury process where it becomes extremely hard to return back to because they're just returning too quickly. Whereas if they're feeling good about themselves, if they haven't fled up their injury, but they've been on the bike for two hours today and they've got a really good workout, they're feeling really positive and it's really taxing on their cardiovascular system. They're still being proactive. They're still um, 
proactive towards that marathon goal, but um, the tissues, the the injured site is still, um, yeah, maintaining really well. It's, there's, there's no flare up. And unfortunately, there are exceptions to this rule, which I will highlight. Um, stress fractures are always this, the exception to the rule. We do want to make sure that if a stress fracture is identified, that is treated with complete rest, unfortunately. We can, we can um, stimulate the rest of the body, <laughs> but... Um, and we can make sure that in any other injury, low levels of pain are okay. But when it comes to stress fractures, unfortunately, it's rest. And unfortunately, it's loading pain-free. We want to make sure that those pain levels are zero and not these low levels of acceptable pain like other injuries. For sure. And I think stress fractures deserve their, you know, their their special own unique category of injury because that is a bone injury. It's much more serious and it does deserve its own type of treatment. Um, Brody, I wish I could package this conversation and give it to myself in 2002, because I think it would have saved me a lot of heartache, a lot of mistraining, and I probably would have been a bit of a faster runner at the end of it all. So thanks so much for being here and sharing your thoughts. I was just curious, you know, there's so much in your in your ebook that you've made, and I know we haven't covered even 40% of it. You talk about uh, goal setting and shoe selection and warming up and running economy and so many other great topics. Are there any final words that you have about pursuing this goal of running a PB while staying healthy in the process that you think are really important that we might have missed? Um, if there's if there's one thing that one kind of key takeaway, it's just like have the right information, just be sensible and train smart because a lot of times when people, um, an injury occurs or like a a step, a setback in their training, they can usually go back on the last, the last couple of days or last week and say, yeah, that was silly of me. I know I probably shouldn't have done that. And so it comes back to just making sensible decisions. And that's kind of the premise of my podcast, the Run Smarter podcast. You need to run smarter and train smarter in order to survive and thrive and have these, achieve these goals. And a lot of my listeners, they're like, Brody, Every time I, I go for a workout now, every time I do a strength training session or I have like an interval session, you're constantly in my ear. I can hear you in my ear now with the, these lessons and that just makes me feel so good because it's it's just highlighting that these lessons are working. It's just you need to train smart and kind of consider these lessons um, before doing a workout. Okay, will this be wise? Is this sensible? Um, because we know that often we get carried away, emotions um, overtake us and overcome us and we feel really good during a run and then we decide to run a little bit faster or run a little bit further. And if you're not ready for it, sometimes the the body fights back. And so if you do have these, these goals in mind, these like really ambitious marathon goals, which I love, um, Fill yourself with the right information and then execute on those those principles. Make sure that you execute because it's one thing to learn all these all these things, but if you totally ignore it and just have it in the back of your mind and train the way you want anyway, um, there's probably no point of learning it in the first place. And so find the right information, uh, educate yourself, invest in your own running wisdom, invest in your own running IQ, but then execute on those decisions. And I think... Just doing that um, would far surpass like you as a past runner and will will accelerate your running goals. And so um, that's probably my last takeaway. I love it. And I'm very fond of saying knowledge is a competitive advantage. And the more you know and can then apply to your training and the way that you approach your running, you're certainly going to be a better runner. So Brody, thank you so much for being here and sharing all this wisdom. Congrats on the success of your podcast, the Run Smarter Podcast. And uh, I know our listeners are really going to get a lot of value from this. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Had a lot of fun. All right. Thank you for listening to this conversation with one of Australia's most popular running podcasters, Brody Sharp. You can connect with him on his podcast, the Run Smarter Podcast, at his site, runsmarter.online, or on Instagram at runsmarterseries. And if staying healthy is one of your top goals, if you can't seem to stay healthy for more than a few months at a time, or if you have a big training season coming up and you want to stay healthy, Join hundreds of thousands of other runners and take our free injury prevention email course. 
Sign up at strengthrunning.com slash elites. And I'll also send you a complimentary ebook with nine pro athletes and their favorite tips to stay healthy and recover faster. Go to strengthrunning.com slash elites to sign up now. Lastly, but not least, our sponsor Elemental Labs is here for you this summer. If you have a high sweat rate, or if you're just like me and you have very salty sweat, it's important to dial in your hydration. Elemental Labs is offering a free sample pack with four flavors and eight electrolyte packets at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You only have to pay for shipping, which is just $5 here in the U.S. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. I'm particularly partial to this citrus flavor, which I honestly can't get enough of. I mentioned before that it was my beverage of choice after any long, hot bike rides that I do here in the Front Range. And that's because it's tasty, it's delicious, and it's something that I just really enjoy when I exercise for more than about 45 to 60 minutes. And for those athletes running five or more days per week, training for longer events or outside in the heat this summer, an electrolyte replacement makes a lot of sense. And I'm encouraged by the fact that Navy SEAL teams, Olympic teams, and a lot of pro athletes have started using elemental electrolyte supplements to improve their performance. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning, and you can try their sample pack. You can get your hydration optimized for this upcoming summer and fall season. And they also have a bunch of new flavors, watermelon salt and grapefruit salt, which are two of my flavors right behind, of course, my all-time favorite, citrus. That's our show today. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you'd like to pay it forward, please, a review on Apple Music is always appreciated. Thank you, and we'll be in touch soon.